Hello everybody and welcome to Broomwagoon, you will not get there on a road bike. I just decided completely independently that this is gonna be the headline also of this year because because it tastes like adventure and we like adventures and it has the same flavor that I want to... Okay, it's just an excuse. It's just because my friend Cycling Rafa on uh, Instagram, Rafael, wherever in the world, just put it as a description on his Instagram profile. So go on Cycling Rafa on Instagram, follow him and give him an high five because you will not get there on a road bike is gonna still be there for another year. And the cycling made inclusive is always there. We like inclusivity in cycling. We love cycling, so we like to cycle, to cycle, to bike together with other people. I would be super fast this time because the episode is gonna be pretty long. Just want to tell you that you can find this podcast wherever in the podcast world, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you want. Just don't forget that if you want to support me, you have to go or you can go to, for example, Apple Podcasts is the best thing. Subscribe, rate me, and if you want, also put a comment over there. For me, it's pretty important and it will help me get more traction. And that's the thing that I want to do. I want to share my message about, that is also your message, about inclusive cycling all out there in the world. So, I just want to introduce the guest of today. I met Naresh during the Silk Road Mountain Race and I can tell you that this story is pretty amazing. But I don't want to say that. He has to say that. And it is an interview that is gonna take one hour and five minutes to tell you all the stories that he has to share because there are a lot. I will talk to you at the end of the episode and thanks Naresh again to be here. We are here, we are recording, and uh, well, this is a story that starts on the Silk Road Mountain Race 2019. Between all the people that I met there, really all of them amazing, amazing people, I spent a lot of time following this guy here because I really knew that he had a lot of story to tell. And then... A chat here, a chat on the registration day, a second chat during the, the race, a second chat during the thing here and there. We spend also a lot of time during the last days just drinking a beer, eating some food and having a lot of chat. And we understood that we had a lot of topics to touch base. So at the end, we said, okay, Naresh, what do you think about being here in uh, on the broom wagon with me and then he said yes and then here is Naresh. hi Naresh, how are you doing stefano how are you doing man such a long time i miss you i miss you <laughs> all you and uh, kyrgyzstan and everything like this and the amazing chats that we were having during those days also the amazing chat that we just had for the last half an hour before starting the recording exactly so cool so inspiring man yeah i mean who would have thought you know feels like yesterday taking photograph at the registration. In fact, I was the last cyclist who came to register. Yeah, just as I was riding to get to, to the registration venue, I had a flat and I had to fix it and it took a long time. And by the time I got there, I realized I was the last cyclist to uh, uh, register. But uh, yeah, it all went well. And that's when uh, we met and you took some photographs. Here we are. Exactly, exactly. But this was, uh, I, um, to all of the people out there, this is the way that we are going to conduct this interview here because I know how it's going to be, and Naresh knows me as well. We are going to truly freestyle on things. There are going to be a lot of topics, so hang on. 
What I wanted to ask you, Naresh, is that, but this was not the only problem that you got, because you got also a couple of problems before even arriving to Bishkek. Yeah, the biggest problem was um, getting um, the visa. Uh, I live in New Zealand with a, I'm an, I'm an Indian uh, passport holder. You know, when you're going on an adventure, the realization sets in when you're at the airport, when you're about to take off. Mm. So with all that excitement and joy, I walked into Auckland Airport in New Zealand to show my passport when um, the airline officer looked at my passport and said, sorry, you're not flying anywhere because you don't have a visa, Kyrgyzstan visa on your passport. So I was very uh, politely explaining him saying it's an e-visa and I have to uh, show my approval letter and passport in Bishkek and they will give me the visa. And he didn't believe me. He said, sorry, no visa, you can't get on the plane. And I have to convince him. And the letter was in Kyrgyz, so I couldn't read and he couldn't read. So he didn't believe what was written in it. I had to download a lot of uh, apps that would be uh, for OCR, optical character recognition, detection, translation. And um, yeah, almost about to walk away back home without even getting on a plane to Kyrgyzstan to uh, finally getting approval and doing a 40-hour plane ride to get there. It was it was quite a challenge. In fact, you know, when the race started, I'm like, well, all the hurdles are done. All I have to do now is uh, eat, ride, sleep and repeat. <laughs> Perfect. Anyways, if everybody of you wants to know a bit more about the journey of Naresh during the Silk Road Mountain Race, you know, the podcasts are there. Just look for Silk Road Mountain Race in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the things that you know, and you will listen to the voice of Naresh telling the story. Also, this story here, and then the story of your back wheel, I think it was, black t- back tire, sorry, the black tire, the back tire completely cut off, and then yourself fixing it with your wallet. But all these stories are there. So let's start from you again, Naresh. Yeah. Can you give us a bit of introduction about yourself? Because you are not only the guy who participated to the Silk Road mountain race, finishing it and drinking all the time only water from the streams without putting any filters or stuff on that. You are <laughs> something more. Um, well, to explain who is Naresh, um, I grew up in a small suburb in southern India, a very poor family, very poor upbringing had to work and study really hard and um, ended up becoming an engineer through a scholarship that I received from the Indian government. And uh, life happened, uh, became an engineer, uh, worked in India for a while, then moved to the US as uh, a consultant for some major technology companies. So yeah, until 31, all I knew was uh, work, computers and stuff like that. Besides, uh, running and uh, cycling in the weekends. So my passion was uh, is ultra-distance running and ultra-distance cycling. So anything that's uh, human-powered adventures, and I say it in a funny tone that I'm a human-powered adventurer fueled by kindness and a lot of peanut butter. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh so yeah that's uh that's Naresh for you. Yes, yes, yes. And uh maybe we can start from there. Uh so also another small 
uh, tip, let's say, that I can give to everybody there. There is an amazing interview into an amazing podcast, probably one of the most amazing podcasts, if we can say that, around the net. The podcast name is The Dirtbag Diaries, and the episode here is Tandemonium. And there is an amazing, really, chapter dedicated directly to Naresh. So, Everybody out there, go to your podcast provider, look for the Dirtback Diaries, if you don't know it already. Subscribe to that, if you didn't already, and listen to Tandemonium. The whole episode is amazing. The last part is even better. But there was the beginning of the story, and probably I want to start also there, from there. At a certain point of your life, you were an engineer, you were in Silicon Valley, and you decided to quit your job. Correct. Yes. What happened since there? Yeah, I mean, you know, like every other kid... I also had a lot of dreams and goals, but work and taking care of family was important. But um, after all that years of working and taking care of responsibilities, I don't know, I just wanted to just leave, you know, find out what's out there. What, 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 can, I do, what can I do more? But personally, I just wanted to help and see how, how I can live a life uh, bigger than myself. So all that pushed me away from California. I quit my job, took my bag, and uh, went back to uh, India. And uh, along this journey, I happened to be in Nepal for some adventures and exploration. And after running the Annapurna Circuit, Annapurna Sanctuary, and exploring um, uh, Nepal, I was in uh, Kathmandu, Tamil, where one evening, late night, just out walking around solo, when a man approached me thinking I'm like a tourist, uh, and he was offering stuff like drugs or alcohol if for anything I want. When I said, no, I'm not interested, then he went on to say, if I'm interested in girls, young girls, he can arrange for it. And he just wanted um, my room number and which hotel. And he was really proud that he's one of the only guys who has really young girls. So, um, so he was offering, you know, sex with uh, really young girls and um, it was really heartbreaking when someone was selling a human as a commodity on the street and it was almost like food delivery you know he was he was like tell me your room number i'll bring her when you're done having fun call me i'll take her back and that's it so um, when he said that i was filled with rage anger frustration but also it got me thinking that Flesh trade, uh, human trafficking is such a big deal. And um, you just can't walk away from an experience like that. Yeah. So uh, you want to do something more about it. How can I help? So reading more about it and the statistics were crazy. Like, you know, almost 40 million people in slavery around the world, one way or the other. And a majority of them are women and children because they, they are the most vulnerable in any developing world and how they are being exploited in all forms. And um, yeah, all those numbers really pushed me. And I really wanted to take up this as a cause and put my skills to good use, which is long distance running, cycling, engineering, storytelling, project management, whatever it takes to get the story out to the world, to let them know that uh, modern day slavery is real and how we need to help them to get out of this. And how can we stop this from happening to the future generation? So, um, yeah, that was the spark that uh, caused me to go on these uh, big 
crazy expeditions all over the world to mainly raise awareness. Go for that. Um, first of all, maybe first uh, of asking you what was your adventure, whatever, maybe you can a bit open our eyes on the numbers that you were mentioning. Because for all of us, for me, I think for probably 95% of the people that I know out there, slavery is something that is only, it only stays in the past. So you think about slavery and you think about slavery uh, from Africa to the US, then you think about slavery in the Roman Empire, then you think about slavery in the movies that you check and actually they're a historical movie. You think about slavery, yes, in all this kind of closed spot on history. But that's something that is also here. It's something contemporary. It's something that is all around us, even if we don't see it. Can be obviously probably in developing country in countries is a bit more present, but also the presence of this is here in Europe, as I can imagine. When you talk about prostitution, when you talk about people coming here in Europe from Africa and just having few contacts in order to get free and to earn some money, and this is actually also slavery, bad slavery, uh, slavery out there. And yeah, if you Think about numbers and on your research, which kind of numbers are there? So when you talk about slavery, which one is the yeah the situation out there, the amount of people that are involved in that? Well, um, so one, it's uh, the biggest uh, revenue earning. It's about like, uh, it, they say it's an estimated uh, uh, 10 to $50 billion industry. It's like right next to... Um, arms and drugs uh, deal mm. so there's like huge money involved which is the reason why people are doing this uh to each other and um yeah it's like you know one of the fastest organizing uh, a fastest growing business of an organized crime and um 55 to 60 percent of the traffic victims are women and children and the shocking thing is the average age of a teen that enters into the sex trade is between um, uh, 14, uh, 12 to 14. And um, sorry, in terms of uh, revenue, it's $150 billion um, every year um, business. And uh, it's, it affects like nearly 45 million people globally. Um, of this, 2 million are children in like 167 countries. And um, yeah, I mean, there are millions are trafficked into forced labor situation and sex trade. These are some of the biggest industries that uh, people are getting trafficked into. So, yeah, I mean, you know, um, forced um, labor, uh, sex trade, and um, yeah, it just comes in like all forms. These are just like some of the studies. In fact, uh, like you mentioned, you know, people getting from Africa to uh, all over the world back in those days. So we have more number of people in slavery right now than the transatlantic um, uh, slavery days. Mm. It, it doesn't spare anyone. It's just not to women and girls. You know, it's like maybe about 71% are women and girls, but also about 29% are men and boys. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, not just like forced labor and exploitation, it comes into uh, organ trafficking and it gets like in all kinds of forms and shape. It's very ugly. I don't know. People call it like modern day slavery, but um, 
there's nothing modern about it. In fact, it's worse than what it used to be in the past. Yes, yes. Uh, calling it modern times, modern days, Larry, doesn't actually move of doesn't move of an inch actually what it is is slavery exactly. and that's it you know it could be modern it could be old whatever slavery is what it is is slavery and the point is that the point it actually scares me the most i can tell you is that i don't know but probably when you were talking about atlantic slavery on the old times i think that it was there it was visible it was probably culturally accepted but still it was there but at this time, actually, I believe that the biggest uh, fraud that is there is that nobody talks about that. And nobody sees that because nobody talks about that. And who sees that? Try to hide it. Or, as you were saying, when you go to know about this kind of situation, if you are a common person, you usually run away from it. Okay, you don't accept, you don't want to be involved in that. Let's say best case scenario. But you just run away from that. Absolutely. But you did something that different. You said you cannot run away from that. And then you came out with this amazing idea to sensibilize people on modern, okay, on slavery. Let's put that, human slavery. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so if you think about it, right, there are so many more causes out there to fight for. And one thing that people really get attracted to is outdoor adventures or pushing your limits. Yeah. So we see people running marathons for fundraising. Uh, we do people climbing big mountains for fundraising. But if you take a backseat and think about it, okay, this is an important cause. Why don't you just sit in front of a computer, create a GoFundMe and ask for money? Why do you have to do something extreme to fundraise? Yeah. Why, why run marathons to fundraise? Why run in the first place? So people who see that you're doing this, they see that you're not just asking for money, but you get a platform to tell a story to them as to why you're doing it in the first place. So when people come and ask why you're running a marathon, they can tell them the reason behind the why. And also the people see that you're not just a guy who's talking about it, but you're going through all this pain and torture and the rigorous training effort to get to the finish line. So they want to applaud you and for your cause. And their way of doing that would be to go online and support you by giving a few dollars, get the word out. So then I was thinking, being an adventurer, long distance runner and a cyclist, I was just thinking, what can I do about this? I've run like 85 ultra marathons from 42 kilometers to 500 kilometers but then all that was a race for me to get to the finish line to push my limits but i just wanted to push my limits for a cause which uh, took me which gave me the idea to run the length of uh, new zealand on this trail called the te araroa from uh, cape ranga in the north of new zealand to bluff in the south of new zealand 3000 uh, kilometers so I made it hard by running in winter by just wearing a, a pair of sandals, carrying everything on my back, solo and unsupported, all with one goal to um, tell the story that I experienced in Nepal and ask people to donate for the cause to help the victims of uh, sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. So that was my very first uh, adventure that I did uh, soon after my experience in uh, Nepal.
Yes. So yeah, that was my yeah very first adventure, and the event was a huge success, especially when people see you in winter wearing just a pair of sandals running. The first thing they ask is why? Why do you want to do it? Right? The schools, libraries, organizations, newspapers, media, radio, everyone wants to know why are you doing it? This is like dangerous. Why? And that why was amazing because that gave me a platform to explain the why and put a floodlight on the issue of um, human trafficking and how we as people who are free have a responsibility to rescue those people who don't have the freedom. And people were amazing. Even kids, uh, old people, young people, everyone got together. And uh, we raised a lot of money that uh, helped in um, rescue uh, of our girls uh, from um, the brothels in um, some third world countries. Mm -hmm. So that was like a really big event. But the main thing I was super proud of was all the awareness that was generated by sharing the story in universities and schools among the teenage kids who are the next warriors of this uh, world. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe if I can just stress a bit on the uh, New Zealand part of the... Yeah, on your first event, actually. So you are running 3,000 kilometers in winter in New Zealand. And you're doing it with a pair of sandals. And you are doing it for an amazing cause. Let's start in from that. Uh, so the point is that you were just there spreading the voice, using social media and whatever is in communication right now uh, to talk about that. But actually, how did you really spread the voice there? So you were really stopped by people telling you why are you doing that and you could explain it. Or it was just because of the convenience beforehand that actually you had the possibility to talk uh, in schools in university and stuff how does it work because let's think about in the best worst scenario you know uh, tomorrow people are going to listen to your voice or just today people are listening to your voice uh, because you're talking with people or because you're talking in a podcast and they think okay this is an amazing cause or another one is an amazing cause and i want to do something in order to raise sensibility and awareness on my cause but how does it work? What should I do? How should I set up things? And how things are moving on in order to raise this awareness out there? So for you, how did it work? Talking about New Zealand. So this is how it works, right? So there's you just send out a PR uh, letter, like a newsletter to all the media outlets that are kind of famous in your uh, area. So these days, you know, it's very easy because everyone is very uh, approachable. Uh, their Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, sometimes just picking up the phone and just saying, hey, I just want to talk to a reporter. I have a news because this is an event that I'm about to do. And just letting the word out. And um, once it gets down in the newspapers and uh, you heavily rely on social media like Facebook, uh, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, and push it to the region where you are instead of putting it at a very global scale, and, uh, and man, it's more like an uh, avalanche effect. You know, once the ball starts rolling, there is no stopping. It's like the word of mouth. One gets to know. Uh, they, they spread it to like 100 people and that 100 speaks to 100 people. So it goes kind of a viral eventually. And also in my case, uh, it's not just that they see that, oh, some guy is running out there on my website. 
there is a link to my spot GPS mm-hmm. tracker. So you don't know exactly where I am, how far I am from the civilization, when I'm going to get there. All those kind of details are out there. And uh, after the couple of after the first uh, week, the things got really out of control. Every time I'll go through civilization, schools and libraries and organizations will know about you. And they want you to come and speak in their schools and uh, raise more awareness. Uh, it could be like in a coffee shop when you're just walking in and they see you pretty beat up and rugged and they ask you what you're doing. And when you tell them, they immediately get all their customers together and um, ask you to share the story. And I've had people immediately opening up their wallet and giving me the money right then and there. So uh, you rely heavily on people but also on social media and a a very effective uh, PR, just like targeting the right kind of people who can help to carry this message. And then depending on the route uh, that I go on, I reach out to the schools and uh, any organizations along my way so that they can invite me and I can go and speak. So uh, yeah, you do a lot of homework uh, before you start an expedition. But the beauty of uh, the biggest beauty is also the organic approach. When you meet some random stranger along the way and uh, they take you home and within like uh, two hours, they invite all their neighbors to come home to hear your story. And each of them is moved that they go and spread the word. So there's a lot of organic approach to raising awareness as well. Yeah, another question that comes into my mind still on uh, this topic here. Um, so you said that you have made this event in New Zealand. Why New Zealand? Because you think that this a place that actually is a bit more open to talk about that or because you just were living there? Why? Um, again, a little bit backstory. 2001, when I got my scholarship in India to study engineering, one of the first movies that I uh, very clearly remember is Lord of the Rings. Yes. So I remember watching that movie and I had no clue uh, where it was taken and what is the name of that country. I had a childlike dream, Stefano. I just wanted to be like, one day if I grow up and, you know, once I know that where I want to be, I want to be in that country. I want to make New Zealand, uh, I want to make that country as my home. Later on, I found that it was um, New Zealand. And that, that dream took me to New Zealand. And then um, researching more about it, New Zealanders are one of the nicest, kindest people, man. I mean, in the whole world. Um, You know, in all my adventures, I've had people invite me, you know, treating me like family and uh, very generous in terms of giving as well. So because it was going to be my home country and I I wanted to start my life in the most amazing country in an epic way, I thought, okay, I'm going to run the length of New Zealand and this is a perfect cause to run across New Zealand for. And uh, it, it turned out amazing. Uh, though you see a lot of bad happening through human trafficking, the goodness of people and their kindness and hospitality throughout my adventure restored my faith in humanity. It gives you the hope that the world is uh, still a good place and there are a lot of good people in it and uh, to keep it uh, running. So yeah, that's one of the reasons why I did that adventure in New Zealand. Makes a lot of sense. Makes really a lot of sense. I have another question still about the technique of uh, yeah of raising some funds on uh, yeah for a good cause like this one is. But probably I can keep it for 
another piece of content that we are going to take out from there. Because this was not your only adventure that was based on raising awareness of slavery, right? Which one is the other one? Yeah. Well, um, the biggest lesson when I ran the length of New Zealand was, um, man, opening someone's wallet is very easy. Especially when you tell them about a child getting sexually abused somewhere. Who doesn't want to help? So it's also the easiest thing to do, opening your wallet and giving some money or going to GoFundMe online and throwing some money out there. But um, the the toughest thing to do was opening someone's heart. Uh, just like how it was wide opened up for me because of my experience in Nepal. So um, yeah, that thought triggered uh, me to go on another expedition where people can be a part of my adventure. Not just say that, oh, some guy is running somewhere, let's help him. Instead of that, I wanted people to push their limits with me as well. But also, secondly, people don't understand the value of freedom. What is freedom? They don't know. They get up in the morning and go on with their life. No one is there to tell them or even worse, controlling them, doing bad things to them. So they don't know the real value of freedom. And I wanted to show them in a very fun and adventurous way, what is freedom? So that adventure, that thought process got me to my, excuse me, next expedition, which I called it Freedom Seat. So what I did in that adventure was I went back uh, to New Zealand again, to the very top of New Zealand, and uh, I picked up a tandem bicycle and the same place where I started my run, I went back to the same place and I decided to cycle the whole length of New Zealand top to bottom on this tandem bicycle, uh, solo and unsupported by picking up random strangers along my way, asking them, I need your help. Can you help me? I All I need is your energy, your muscle power to ride with me because I have a long way to go and I have a big cause to uh, raise money for and I need your help. So um, yeah, that journey turned out to be one of the most fascinating and fantastic journey expedition of my life. And uh, that was Freedom Seat because um, let's say I see someone, I go and ask them for their help to pedal with me. Two things happen. The first thing is the curiosity. Not not a lot of people, not a lot many people have ridden a tandem bike before. So it's a curiosity. They're like, oh, this is cool. I really want to try what it is like. And they would be asking me, why are you doing this? And I would tell them, I'll tell all about it when we are cycling together. So they get on the bicycle. And uh, the first few minutes is always hard. Because if you've never ridden a tandem bicycle and you're riding it for the first time, sitting in the back seat, it's kind of scary because you don't see what's ahead of you. All you can see is the side. All you see is a sweaty back of a crazy Indian guy. And uh, you cannot control. The steering doesn't move. So you cannot go where you want to go. And you cannot stop when you want to stop because you don't have brakes in the back seat. So you don't have any freedom of movement. You can't go where you want to go. Stop when you want to stop. But the most important part is you trust a random stranger on the road to go on this adventure with you. 
So I know when they are freaking out because they try to control the bike and I'll feel it. So I look at them and say, I know you're scared, but trust me, you have to trust me and just pedal, let go. And they immediately say, it's easy for you to say, but for us, it's very hard because it's really tough because I can't see what's in front of me and I can't control. So I just stopped and tell them, you know, see, you lost your freedom in the most fun and adventurous way. But close your eyes and imagine for a second what it is like to not have freedom where you are locked up and where you are made to do extremely bad things or bad things happen to you. Or you are working 18, 19 hours a day in the hot sun with no food, no proper nutrition, and you get paid maybe $1 or $1.50 a week, and you can't escape from it. You have to just work, work, work. So imagine all these people that we are fighting for, a girl behind that locked door getting sexually abused, to a, a boy, a young boy who is working in a brick factory in India, making these hundreds of bricks a day uh, by being in a furnace that's like 60 degrees, 70 degrees, and he can't walk away from all of it. So these are the people that we are trying to give freedom because freedom is the highest form of living. More than food, clothes, and shelter, which are the most basic human needs, the most highest form of living is freedom, which 40 million people don't have on this planet right now, one way or the other. So when you tell this story, people immediately realize how important it is uh, for this to fight for this cause, and they sit on the bike and they push their limits with you. They may not be able to go like long distance, but they are doing whatever they can. And man, when they get down from the bike and when they are limping, when they are tired, when they are walking, they go home proud that they contributed and they were a part of an expedition. And they don't stop there. They go home, they donate for the cause. They help to get the word out. So ideally, they become your voice. They become an advocate for the cause. They are not just thinking about giving some money and walking away, but they are actively thinking how they can be a part of this cause and how can they help. So that's what we accomplished uh, through Freedom Seat. And man, everyone laughed at this idea when I said I'm going to ride a tandem bike by picking up random people. Everyone had doubts, even my friends in New Zealand. They're like, dude, it's not going to work. Who do you think is going to ride with you, look at you? And it's it's a big, big risk. But you won't believe uh, our goal was to raise uh, $20,000. At the end of the trip, about 140 people cycled with me. And uh, we, we, our fundraising goal, we, we exceeded more than what we wanted to raise, doubled it. Wow. So we raised nearly $55,000, $60,000 in that uh, 35 days that it took me to cycle. And uh, it became one of the most amazing expeditions. And the thing is, it didn't stop there. Even after the expedition got over, I still kept getting emails and phone calls from people who cycled with me saying that they found another organization that is doing amazing work and they have partnered with them and they are supporting them through funds and their time and volunteering mm -hmm. in every way. So it was really nice to see people didn't stop just cycling and giving money, but they actively became uh, an advocate for this cause. So that was my uh, first uh, experiment with Freedom Seat in New Zealand. And what happened next was I wanted to take it to the next level, which was my recent adventure that I shared with you, my uh, 
freedom seat India to Germany, where I bicycled from Chennai, India to Hamburg, Germany. Tell us more about that, Naresh. So at a certain point, you finish. Uh, you can make um, also another thing that I want to say here is that this is exactly then till now this story. I would say that I don't know, actually, if you shared in another podcast or whatever, but we talked about that, but let's say it's brand new for the records. Um, the other part, the second part of the story, the story from India to Hamburg, this is something that you already told on into the uh, Dirtbags Diaries out there. So uh, so this is probably, is the last one, so probably is the most hype, I would say, at the moment. But still, if you want to say a couple of words about that, just to close up the circle, let's go for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, India to Germany, the idea came because after finishing my German, uh, New Zealand uh, freedom seat, I was sharing this uh, story with a lot of uh, Rotary clubs in India, uh, just act actively asking them for help and take up this cause. Because end polio now was their mission, and my mission is end slavery now, and I was advocating them to take up this cause. So one of the gentlemen I was uh, speaking with, he said, Next year's Rotary Convention, which was this year, is in Hamburg. Would you be uh, willing to carry this message of end slavery now by riding a bicycle from India to Germany on a tandem, picking up strangers along the way? And I was immediately, I didn't even hesitate, you know. I didn't even, like, think for a second, what is it going to take? I said, yes, let's do it. Sometimes you just have to say yes and think about everything later. And... Um, Yeah, and I started the mission in India because we rescued about 32 people from bonded labor slavery in India, where they were made to work in inhumane conditions. So we rescued them and the money that we raised would go towards their rehabilitation efforts to live a life of dignity and respect. And doing this in India was absolutely the best decision to do. So yeah, uh, got flagged off in Chennai, which is okay. my birthplace. And then um, I crossed 12 borders across 13 uh, countries through two continents, um, uh, India, Middle East, Eastern Europe, and Europe, about um, 8,646 8, kilometers with uh, 55,000 meters of elevation gain. And um, 180 people cycled with me. Youngest was four and the oldest was... Um, 84 years old. Wow. And uh, we managed to raise um, nearly uh, 150,000 uh, Indian rupees, which is uh, a significant money uh, for the victims of uh, human trafficking, which will go towards their housing, their work, schooling for their children, everything, uh, to give them the most basic life that uh, every human needs. Uh, this journey took me 74 days of actively cycling. From start to finish, it took 87 days, 11 hours and 30 minutes to bike from uh, India to Germany, all the way yeah. on a tandem. Um, just to finish something like uh, the 101 for people that want to keep the cause and probably do something for it. Um, probably, and we can go a bit deep on that, the best way to raise awareness, not only money, and help people that are in these kind of troubles, is not only 
to get money from people. As you were saying, it is so easy at the end of the day. Not the easiest, but it is easy anyways, because you're telling a story, people open their eyes on the problem, and then for sure they will open also their wallet for you. But the most important thing mm-hmm. is, there, is there to make them as the voice of the problem that you are trying to raise there and to raise the sensibility on. And I think that actually this is probably the best way. So something like uh, give them kind of an example of what it means having this problem and let them listen to you. But that's probably most of the time the most difficult thing. Anyways, you found the perfect tool. So a tandem where you are really explaining and showing to people what it means not having enough freedom. And on the other side, also sitting close to you and telling them, I need your help. You also open open their ears and their hearts in order to listen to you. Yeah. But which were the conversation that you had on the tandem there? Um, but I mean, uh, people are amazing, you know, it doesn't matter all over the world. I think in this day and age, uh, people who listen are very scarce. They want to share a lot of things, but no one has the time. Everyone is glued to their phone. Every, everything everyone knows about another person is through whatever they post online, and which is not 100% true most of the time. They only put the best for, foot forward and put the best things online, but there's so much more behind everyone. Um, but yeah, but... Every person that who sat behind me, man, all I'll ask is two questions. I'll just say, who are you and what's your story? I think what's your story is such an important question to ask because when you ask that question, what's your story, they just look deep into themselves and to find out who are they, what is their story, right? And they go into their deep, deep background and their secrets and they just tell me who they are as a person. And we all think that we are facing the toughest struggles and challenges in life. You know, when we walk on the street, we always think, oh, my problem, my, my issues, my struggles. But what we forget is everyone out there, every person that we see is having their own struggles. They are battling their own battles every single day. And uh, when you ask them what, what is their story, People tell them, you know, people open up their heart. They tell them, they tell me about their background, how bad it was, how much of a struggle it was, and all the challenges that they have to fight to get to the place that they are today, to become the person that they are today. And listening to all those stories are super heartwarming, but also it makes you feel that we are all the same, man. At the end of the day, we are all the same. Maybe we are different with language and culture and traditions or by passport or by boundaries, but deep inside, we are all the same. So people were sharing some of the most amazing stories, their experiences, but what happened, what I noticed was no one gave me their resume. You know, resume is something you put everything the best. You put all your highlights, your positives on the resume. No one ever said, oh, I have a house, I'm a CEO. Oh, I have this, I have that. People said, uh, my uh, ex-husband was very abusive and it took a long time to get a divorce and walk away from it. He beat me a lot, domestically abused. But after all those years of torture, I'm out, I'm living free with my children. 
I'm a, I'm a free woman now. I can do whatever I want. There was a, a boy who was cycling with me in India. He was telling me how his uh, stepmom was so evil that she was uh, physically abusing him, beating him, torturing him, but uh, would always threaten him to not tell that to the father. And uh, he was telling how he was studying so hard so that he can get away from the house and become a person, you know, that he always wants to be, follow his dreams and passions. So all these things that people share. So for anyone who saw that boy, he's a happy boy going to school. But in that few moment when he sat with me, he told me so much that I, you have no idea that a boy who looks so happy is going through so much of stuff. So, yeah. And also you learn and grow so much from all these stories and experiences. You know, it makes your life better to by listening to all these stories of hardships and endurances and challenges. I mean, man, Silk Road is nothing compared to whatever these people are going through on their daily life. and. At least for us, you know, it's a walk away is there. You can just say, I'm done. You can walk away. Yes. But some of these challenges that these people face in their life, it's a daily battle for days, weeks, sometimes years at a time. But uh, yeah, that was always the best experience. And also, because you are sharing so much of uh, intimate stories about personal experiences, it creates a strong bond between you and the person riding with you that you become not friends, but you become a family immediately. Because, because, man, I mean, vulnerability is the key to human connection. People always ask me, how do people take you home? They feed you. You are four days since your last shower. You look like a homeless. But people are taking good care of you. How does this happen? And the magic word is just vulnerability, being vulnerable. When they look at me, yes, people can beat me and steal stuff from me and I don't have the energy to fight back. But also being vulnerable makes them vulnerable and they come and talk to you. They are like, he's not a threat to me anymore. I want to see what his deal is. And when you tell them what you're doing, most of the time, the people who are riding with me take me to their house. And uh, I have like families, you know, there are kids calling me Uncle Naresh all over the world. So I have grandma, grandpa, uncle, auntie, brother, sister, friends, mama, papas, all over the world. Because every one of them who cycled with me, it wasn't just like they cycled and left. But they become like a very intimate part of your life now. So all these experiences are very rich. You can never get that kind of experience. You cannot put that on an itinerary of a, a tourism company or anything. You just have to push yourself out there. But uh, even this experience, you know, from India to Germany, the most beautiful thing there was language. And language was not a barrier for human connection. Like, you know, riding through Iran, Turkey, and most part of Europe, mm -hmm. which they don't speak English. I was just wondering, how, how am I going to explain what I'm doing? How am I going to even tell them? But language was never a barrier. You know, you just speak using sign language, but there is a comfortable silence that you share with a stranger. And all they'd want to do is he sees a human who's out there cycling and he's weak and they want to take care of you. And man, I mean, Iran and Turkey and everywhere, people take you home, feed you. There was, there was a lovely lady. When I woke up in the morning, I wanted to pack my bag and there was nothing in my bag. 
my, none of my clothes were in the bag. When I went asked her, you won't believe she hand washed. She didn't have a washer dryer, so she hand washed all my clothes, and she put it on a dry uh, sun drying. She saw me sleeping, so she thought there's enough time for the clothes to dry out because she said you had only two pairs of clothes and it looked very dirty. So I just wanted to like clean it up. Imagine a random stranger touching your dirty clothes and hand washing them for you. So uh, experiences like that, you know, kids sitting on your lap and like you know calling you Uncle Naresh and watching TV, um, old people calling you, treating you as their grandson. Like this guy in Turkey, when it was so cold, and I had three flats that day, so I couldn't go where I wanted to go. Completely stranded in the middle of nowhere, he came out of nowhere, and I don't even know his name. You know, I think it's Hamid or something like that. He spoke very Turkish only, and I had no idea. I had no reception, so I couldn't use Google Translate. And in the small room that he had, he made me a beautiful bed. And while it was lightning and thunder, pouring rain outside, I was sleeping in this nice little bed, sipping hot Turkish tea. And he was he was sleeping on the floor, giving me his bed. Man, that day he didn't. Do, the only thing he didn't do was tuck me in the bed and kiss me goodnight. That was the only thing he didn't do. <laughs> wow. And the next day morning, you wake up. He made this beautiful breakfast. Then he cycled with me all the way to the highway. He gave me like fifty liras. And then, uh, even though I was cycling away, he didn't leave the road. You know, he was just there, standing and waving until I disappeared from his sight. And those kind of experiences bring tears to your eyes. You are like, "Who is he? Why did he do this to me?" There's a good chance I'll never see him again in my life. But it's been what almost six months, seven months since I met him. Here we are sharing about that story, right? So um, it makes your life really. I don't know, very rich and beautiful, all these memories because of these beautiful chance encounters with these amazing human beings that you would have never met if you were if you were driving or flying. I could I was able to meet him because I was on a bicycle pushing my limits and I was stranded and vulnerable in that cold weather under an abandoned building and this guy took pity on me though he didn't know who I was and don't understand a word of what I said. So I mean I can keep going on and on you know 180 beautiful days it was like living a movie man I mean it was like reading a beautiful exciting novel you know where you can't put the novel down you read chapter after chapter and or it's like the be- interesting movie you you are like sitting at the edge of a chair thinking what's going to happen next that was my life no plans no no idea what I was doing pack up the tent in the morning keep cycling and the kind of people and the experiences you went through every day the hardest part of that adventure was saying having to say goodbye to those people the next day it was the toughest thing i know it sounds very cliche and philosophical but when you experience a hospitality and kindness of a random stranger who goes above and beyond to take care of an indian boy who's cycling from india to germany by giving everything possible they have and they come out as a family to wave goodbye to you wishing you good luck asking you to come back home safe they say come back home not like come back and visit us again you're like they come back home come back for ramzan come back for christmas next year we'll be waiting for you and then you leave them while you turn back your head everyone is waving at you 
you are like, what did I do to deserve this kindness, you know? So um, I always uh, you get emotional sharing these stories of these beautiful people who not only helped for the cause, but also treated you as one of their own. Yeah, one of the most beautiful uh, adventures. Yeah, for sure, for sure. No, that's really, that's really something that makes you emotional because that's the point, you know, you are trying to raise um, sensibility and uh, everything like that, awareness on things that are pretty, they're pretty powerful, but the most powerful thing is getting to know yourself that humans are pretty, 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 uh, you know, in an intense way, really kind with you. That's the point. Because we, you were raising there how people can be evil with other people. But on the other side, you are doing it by experiencing how people can be good with our people. And that's something that you make it out, you brought it out just by, as you were saying, putting yourself vulnerable. And that's the best thing. And you're showing also people, I think, in this way that when a person is vulnerable, you don't have to take advantage of them. And people mostly, I think 90% of people, they don't do it. They don't take advantage of people that are weak. No, They're just trying to help them as much as they can. And by doing that, they, re they really understand that this is something that you have to, they have to battle against. So evil people must be battled and only with kindness you can do that. Absolutely, man. That's really well said, you know, because a lot of people kind of give up, especially the numbers that I gave you, right? 40 million people yeah. in slavery. What can we do about it? I just tell people, how, what is the population of the planet? You know, we are seven, 7 billion strong. Take out the kids and everyone, even if you take adults, we are like billions of people. So we can always beat the, the bad with, by being good. So it's all about being nice and kind to each other, you know? I mean, being good to each other. Like you said, not everyone uh, sees someone weak and wants to take advantage, but everyone wants to go and ask, how can I help? So the only way you can uh, beat all this evil that's going on around is, it starts with you, you know, being nice and kind to one another, teaching our children and our friends to be nice and kind to each other. It could be a simple thing, man. Sometimes you see someone offering them a cup of coffee if you see someone standing out in the cold weather or just offering like an ice cold water. It goes a long way. Sometimes it's as simple as looking at the security or a janitor and say with a big smile, how are you? How's your day? It makes their day because they, it makes them feel important that they matter and it makes them feel very special. And that's what I do, you know, with all the experiences that I get. It's like today you, tomorrow me. Someone helped me when I was yeah. stranded. I'm going to do it now. It's all about passing it forward, you know, because you never know when you will be in that state. I was in that state. And with all these help that I get, you just can't like walk away when you see someone who's in need of help. I see myself in them. I'm like, I was that guy who was standing under a tree in that pouring rain with a bicycle with no help. Someone is there. I'm going to do it. So you, it kind of changes you uh, from within. And also people, right? It's not like you know human trafficking. Everyone has to go give money or raise awareness. It starts very simple. We are the biggest consumers. Why is there a huge supply? Because there is a demand in the first place. 
So, for example, right, a human trafficking, a child making some cheap T-shirts in a third world country that you are buying for like dollars and dollars. All that money is used for these big guys and for their greed and they pay nothing for the people. So it starts simple, you know, like whatever you are consuming, just think, where did it come from? The hands that made this possible, did it get the right wage? The hands that made this coffee possible, did that hand get enough to eat? Did that mouth get fed? So, you know, um, just paying more attention, you know, finding out organizations. For example, Patagonia is one of an amazing company that really focuses on all that sustainability. And of course, some of their clothes are expensive for obvious reason. It's a quality and everyone who made that garment possible got the right wage for a beautiful life. So, you know, there are organizations like that. Look for the fair trade certificate. When you buy a coffee, see if it's fair trade. So that it's made sure that everyone who was involved in the process of making that coffee to your table got the right wage. So once your thought process shifts like that, then everything changes. Then people, organizations, big corporations are forced to pay the right wage for all those people to make this uh, possible. So it's always simple things like that, you know. Of course, it's it's tough. It's very easy to go to a shopping market and just take whatever your eye sees and put it in the mart or do a little bit of research. Just go support the local farmers. Go to a local farmer's market and buy directly from the farmers. You are supporting them and you're sustaining um, a beautiful lifestyle and also it's good for the earth. So there are a lot of things that you can uh, help. And also if you see something, if you doubt something, if, if you think that something is wrong, report it it's okay to report and be wrong than like not report it at all if you see someone is getting exploited someone is not being treated well someone is uh, at risk of being vulnerable or being taken advantage of just report it and as them and there's so many social organizations that are ready to help these people don't know how to approach them so you can be like a bridge and help them in any way possible. So there are a lot of ways that you can help people. Yes. No, definitely. And the thing is that, as I was saying, the point is that I think that most of the people out there, they just need really something that smashed this reality in front of their face. Because that's Correct. the only thing that is missing. Because we are all aware that something is wrong out there, right? We are all aware that uh, there are people that are not paid as as they are needing in the need of and uh, all these kind of thing the point is that we are just saying okay i'm gonna I, I cannot think about everything else or i'm gonna think about it later or what i can do only by myself well and then mm -hmm. things like the ones the one that you are doing and going from india to hamburg on a tandem or running all around new zealand just to raise awareness on that that's what it is raise awareness and letting everybody understand that it's just a small move just uh, somebody who is listening from to you is already a good pace. Then you need to listen to somebody else and try to help it. That's the way. Absolutely. Naresh, what about next steps? Because all of this is such an amazing thing. <laughs> and I don't think that you need to stop everything here. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it'll. it's ever going to stop. You know, God willing, if I have the good health and, and all the awesome support that I'm receiving from everyone, um yeah next mission could potentially be in india mm -hmm. man because uh, i'm focusing more in the region where i came from 
because I could really become the voice and ambassador for the people who don't have a voice. So um, might uh, take over, take up another big adventure within India. Um, I mean, you know, it's still a planning in progress, but... You don't have to talk about that if you cannot, it's fine. <laughs> okay, no, I, I'm just like, you know, it's going to be like a, a very one-of-a-kind of a very special expedition. And um, it will be for the same cause, for the people who are in bonded labor slavery to rescue them and give them a new life. So, yeah, planning is already in progress and um, hopefully start it early next year because I have to wait for the winter to pass. In the Himalayas, there'll be like a lot of snow. So still bicycle is going to be involved. On a tandem, picking up all the people I can. It'll be like freedom seat India. Perfect. But you're not going to just be locked in this adventure, right? You're going to do something else, something like, I don't know, an ultra marathon or an ultra endurance race, because we met in one of those. You have to continue doing this thing, because I think that this one is another tool that you're using. You're doing your main event. You're doing your main adventure, the one that you're really making in order uh, to get some funds. Let's put it in that uh-huh. way. But you're also doing many other things, because this is the way to meet people that are kind of like you of your same family of thoughts and similar thinking in order to raise also the things that you are doing right so you haven't planned something like this um yeah i have a couple of uh ultra marathons signed up for a hundred mile race and um yeah then otherwise like you know back in california it's going to be like you know a winter in montana so I might be doing some skiing trips um a couple of backcountry skips i know you know it's you need some time to re-energize and charge your batteries. So uh, just spend some time out there in the outdoors. Just unplug, completely unwind, rest and relax. Um, it's a, I call it like staying connected by completely disconnecting yourself. So be connected with people around you. Be present and alive, one in the nature. And... Um, also train during all these races because being staying fit is really critical to do carry out all these expeditions. Um, yeah, just like some downtime, catch up with uh, friends and family, eat a lot of curry, put on all the weight that I lost in Kyrgyzstan. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, How much uh, was it? 20 kilos? Uh, no, it was about 14. Wash. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I lost it seven myself crazy. and I didn't try it, so... <laughs> yeah so yeah you know how it would have been like to be out there yeah but um yeah otherwise yeah just like you know looking forward to the next big adventure also every new year my way of celebrating new year is um i climb a big mountain on the new year's eve and i sleep uh at the summit under the stars uh after watching it it doesn't make so but in the south in the south hemisphere right uh, yeah, doesn't in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the south, I would say so down there because otherwise I cannot imagine you celebrating New Year's Eve. I don't know, in on top of Mont Blanc or wherever in yeah. the Alps can be a bit dangerous, right? Yeah, there was one time it was like negative fourteen at the summit. <laughs> negative fourteen is still okay. Come on. Yeah, I mean definitely, but you know, just built a fire and got into the tent. After watching a beautiful sunset, sleep under the stars, and then, uh, yeah, wake up on the 1st to watch a beautiful sunrise. That's how I start my new year. I've been doing that for the last um, seven years. So I need to pick a mountain in the northern hemisphere somewhere where it's not terribly cold. 
Okay, so you don't and, have already um, in mind what it's gonna be. Uh, I'm sorry. You don't have already in mind which kind, which mountain is gonna be this year. Uh, I don't know which state I'm gonna be in because I work on a pretty flexible schedule. That's amazing. But um, I'm sure the mountains are waiting for me. Yeah, like John Muir's quote, you know, the mountains are calling and I must go. So uh, mountains are a good place, you know, amazing to places. Uh, refresh, recover. They challenge you, but also they help you and they refuel you. It's, it's a good place to be around. Yes, it is. It is. Are you coming in Europe anyway soon? Anytime soon? Um, I would love to. Uh, hopefully, I also do a lot of uh, motivational talks. So uh, if I get invited to any one of the TED Talk events in Europe, potentially I might. But uh, at this point, uh, I do not have any plans. Cool. And uh, then you touched the point that actually I want to touch briefly here. Also, because we have been talking okay. for one hour and we can go, I think, ahead for another couple. But it's better not to completely fulfill the years of the people too much. You were talking about motivational talks. Let's make this then. Give me one, two, three, whatever motivational sentences in order to motivate people to step out from their comfort zone and go out there and push the limit in order to improve and grow themselves as human being, not only physically, but also mind-wise and feelings-wise? Well, um, the first thing, man, talking about comfort zone, um, I always say you got to leave somewhere to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like, it's, it may sound super simple, but it's always the toughest because... People sit in one place and they think and dream and imagine about going to all the other places. It's not just places, but it could be a challenge. It could be something that you want to do. But in order to do that, you have to let go of uh, where you are. Imagine, for example, living in an island. Back in those days, one guy had the courage to get on a boat and get in an ocean to go somewhere. He didn't know what's on the other side, but he left that beautiful island in order to go and explore to see what's out there and that's the only way you can discover so only way that you can discover more about yourself is by letting go because you have to leave somewhere to go somewhere and uh, the second thing that i would say is um, a challenge can be a real challenge unless there's a possibility of failure i think people just keep doing what they are good at doing and they keep doing it again and again and again because they are good at it. They're like, why do anything else? One, because they are really good at what they're doing. And two, the fear of failure. They're like, what if I do that and I fail? So they don't have any possibility of failure in a challenge. And you cannot call a challenge as a challenge yeah. unless there's a possibility of failure. For example, like, you know, Silk Road. Yes. That race is a real challenge because besides your health, weather, your bicycle, anything can go wrong. It's a real challenge because it has a high possibility of failure. But who cares? You know, failure is a good thing. In fact, failure can be a fear and failure can be a very motivating factor. So just challenge yourselves and do things that you've never done before because that's the only way you can learn and grow, not by doing the same thing that you've done over and over again. And uh, after all that, man, doing it all, all said and done, just be kind to one another, not just to people that you know 
or to friends that you know, but to everyone. Just have that smile on your face and say hi, ask people genuinely how they are and just sit with them, you know. When you ask them how are you, don't just say it like you don't mean it. Don't just ask how are you and keep looking at your phone. Ask at least how are you in a very meaningful way and get ready to listen. Listen to that person, what he's saying. Just be there for one another and be kind for one another. I mean, I can't think of any more, you know. These three should be everything to make uh, your life interesting and beautiful and make you a better person. Yes, there's no other way, I believe, actually. Really uh, get rid of limitations and uh, be kind for everybody out there. That's really that's really the motor of everything. I truly believe that that's the really only way. And make yourself vulnerable, because this is really the only way that you are going to learn way more. And there is a reason why all the people that you are uh, meeting in this kind of adventures or expedition or even just races like Silk Road, there's a reason why we can call ourselves family, right? Because we are there. We don't have any limit. Bond. Nothing. We are just there. And we know that we're experiencing something together that is great. And that's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I just want to ask you the last thing, because we talked a lot about your adventure, your experience and everything. But actually, I would love also people to know where they can follow you and where they can contact you and they can actually track the amazing things that you do. Yeah, I mean, um, I think the best way to reach would be uh, my website, which is uh, Freedom Seat freedom s-e-a-t dot o-r-g and i'm also on instagram and facebook uh with the same name um you once you find my page you'll be able to find my personal account as well so that would be the best way but uh, freedom seat will always be updated with all my personal expeditions in fact if any of the listeners uh is keen to support my cause uh, they can go to the gofundme page on my website and uh, support me so yeah, freedomseat.org. Um, write to me if you have more questions, if you want to chat more about anything that I'm doing. Always hit me up. Well, amazing. Anyways, everything is going to be down in the description below. Uh, your uh, social media account as well as your website and everything is going to be there. And I want also to uh lock ourselves with a promise i would say in Aresh. just tell me that once that your new adventure is going to be clear you're gonna send me a message drop me a line telling me okay stefan everything is clear i want to talk again on your podcast so we can make a bit more voice on the things that you're planning uh, dude that would be amazing really appreciate it thank you for sure as soon as it's set in stone and the date gets finalized you'll be the first one to know about this and uh, we'll do a show and I'll reveal more about what that adventure is going to look like. Perfect, man. Truly, truly, truly amazing. Well, uh, thanks a lot for your, for your words. Thanks a lot for your inspiration. And uh, thanks a lot for everything that you're doing. I can say it from myself and for everybody that is going to listen to that. And yeah, I will talk to you for sure super soon. And maybe we can have a ride together anyway soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on the show. You're, you're a wonderful man and a good friend. Though the brief moment that we uh, met... I think we shared amazing things and you know awesome stories together so really appreciate you brother and uh, thanks so much for having me in your show it's an honor thank you so much thank you brother i will talk to you soon
And thanks, Naresh, to be on the broom wagon or in the broom wagon with me telling your amazing story. And everybody out there, just open your eyes because slavery is really something still modern and contemporary. And if I can embrace another great line of Naresh, be kind one another. That's the only way to change things. Thanks, Naresh, to being on the show. Thanks to B2B on the Broom Vegan. Thanks, everybody of you, for listening to me for another week. Just, I want to stress on the point that if you want, you can always subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can do it also on Spotify and in Google Podcasts. But on Apple Podcasts, please go there. Just subscribe and rate, if you want, five stars to this show and just write a small review. It's super important for me, really super, super important. And if you want, just follow me on the social media. Calamaro CC is on the Instagram, on Facebook is Calamaro CC as well. Read Calamaro on Twitter, hello at calamaro.cc, that's my email. Please send me all the things that you think that could be interesting for my podcast and help me on making it even better with any feedback. Thanks a lot, I will talk to you next week, bye.